Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, we continue the series Spiritual Warfare based on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. In this episode, Armor, Breastplate of Righteousness, will examine the breastplate of righteousness and consider how justification and sanctification protect us from Satan's assaults. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar. That's the deepest part of the gospel. We've been ransomed by the blood of Christ. Sometimes people think, I want to study something deeper. There's nothing deeper than that. Today we continue our series on spiritual warfare. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 6 again. In this Bible available at Brookwood, we will be on page 946. You can take out your program as well that you received at the door. We've got a few blanks for you to fill in. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Do I have to convince anybody that we live in a time of evil? Then you should be wearing what? Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth, which we considered last week, and the body armor of God's righteousness. That's an accurate description, but I prefer the description out of the NIV, which says, stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The New Living Translation talks about the functions, and it translates it into language that understands, teaches us the function but it misses the fact that Paul was imprisoned in Rome when he was writing this letter to the church at Ephesus and he was likely comparing the armor of the Roman soldiers to whom he was shackled. Perhaps at least one, maybe even two soldiers shackled at the same time. And he used the armor that these Roman guards were wearing to illustrate spiritual preparation so that we can engage in combat with the devil and his demons. You know, as we look into these subjects, I think we become more aware of the work of Satan. Is that happening to you? And Satan strikes in a lot of ways. This morning we had tremendous technical difficulties trying to get started. And I think, you know, it. Does Satan have a screwdriver? I don't know. I think he he uses whatever tools he can to disrupt what we are trying to do to further God's kingdom. The breastplate extended from the soldier's neck basically to his waist. There often was a back piece as well. Now, usually the the breastplate was made of bronze, but sometimes it was just a real tough leather. The more affluent officers often wore a coat of mail, which is um, made of metal chain links, or sometimes there were individual plates that were connected together by chain. The The breastplate protected the chest cavity, where vital organs, the heart, the liver, the kidneys, the lungs were located. And so if 
a soldier was struck by a sword or a spear or an arrow in that area, it could be fatal. But what's the significance of a breastplate for spiritual warfare? Well, the breastplate represents two different kinds of righteousness. Do you know what they are before you look at the behind me? What are they? What are the two different kinds? Oh, good. Thank you backstage. Come on, what are they? What are the two kinds of righteousness? Yes, justification and sanctification. Now the word righteousness means being or acting rightly, that's plain enough, but it's according to God's standards. Justification, and this is on your handout, means declared perfect righteousness. It's another way, a a more theological way of viewing it is positional righteousness. You say, well, that just confuses me. Well, here's what it means. It means you're standing before God without doing anything. Sanctification refers to developing practical righteousness. And we can refer to that as experiential righteousness. In other words, you are doing righteousness. You're acting righteously. Justification and sanctification are connected. And our position will be reflected in our practice. Hebrews chapter 10, look at this one. For by that one offering, Now, who is our high priest? Jesus. And the offering that's being referred to here in Hebrews is Jesus as the high priest offered himself as the sacrifice. For by that one offering, he, Jesus, forever made perfect. Okay, so which word is that? Say it louder. Justification. Those who are being made holy. Now, what is that? Yes, so you see they're connected here in this one verse. And they're both made possible by the sacrifice of Christ. We're going to consider that more thoroughly this morning. But the Hebrew words also translated holy and holiness, they're similar to righteous, but not exactly. Because holy or holiness literally means what? Yeah, set apart or separate or different. And so God is set apart from us, from his human creations, by his absolute moral purity. And for God, holiness is not an action. It's not a set of behaviors. It's his essence, but it's not ours. First Peter 1. But now you must be holy in what? Is that possible? Is it? Well, maybe it's not. Let's see. In everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Well, how can we be holy? 
Jane says we can't. Is that <laughs> Can we reflect God's holiness in the way we live, in the way we speak, in the way we act? Can we? Yes. Romans 6. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Is that true? Do you think that's true? You gotta be a little more sure than that. Because we are no longer slaves to sin. How often do we use an excuse? I could not help myself. I couldn't stop this from happening. I couldn't prevent it. If you're a believer, is it true? That's never true, never true. We may sin, but we do it by choice. After being born again, the Spirit of God enables us to live righteously, to live holy, like God. Now for our purposes, I'm using righteousness as meaning being and acting rightly according to God and holiness as being set apart by God for God's purposes. So the two are similar, but they're not completely synonymous terms. We need to wear both types of righteousness, justification and sanctification to withstand the assaults of the forces of Satan. So here's how righteousness resists Satan. Remember again, I'm gonna keep repeating this for us to get it. Justification is being right with God. So this is something we need to know. It's something we need to grasp and understand that we are completely right, that we are fully accepted by God. Justification, as I said, refers to our standing before God. Now, don't raise your hand, but any of you ever stood in front of a judge who had control of your future? If so, well, I heard some maybe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and God is our judge. But God has declared us perfectly righteous. He pronounced us not guilty, sinless, pure. And I'm saying it again, perfect. Some of us don't like to hear that word perfect, but we have to be perfect in order to be acceptable to, to God. But why would a holy God declare an imperfect people who do sin as innocent? The answer is redemption that was just sung about by Beth so beautifully. Jesus came to earth as a human. He lived a sinless life. He died an undeserved death. And in so doing, he substituted himself for us. How many of your sins did he die for? You believe that? Everyone. What about the ones you haven't even committed yet? Yeah, those two. And so his perfect life, his undeserved, undeserved death is credited to all who believe in him. 
He stood in our place to be punished. We stand in his place. Perfect, justified, righteous. Do you think when God looks at you, he sees you like Jesus? Oh, y'all lost your confidence on that one. (laughs) Do you think when God looks at you, he sees you perfectly righteous like Jesus? Oh, y'all do not have confidence in that one. And if you don't, it'll cause you to trip up. It'll cause you to trip up. It'll cause you to make excuses. It'll cause you to fall in holes. And justified in your weakness. In the eyes of God, you are as perfect as who? As Jesus, because he gave up his righteousness to you. And it was proven when he was resurrected. Do you know you're right with God? Today, do you know you are completely, perfectly, totally right with God? Because he declared that you are. You've got to get this clear in your, in your mind. And because it's justification that allows, allows us to resist Satan first because it removes our guilt. Verse 8, Romans. I mean, chapter 8 in Romans. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. There's no condemnation. However, even after you're forgiven, the devil's demons will remind you of your past sinful life. And in so doing, they will tempt you to return to disobedience. Because you can walk away and you can fail to see yourself in God's eyes and then guess what? You will act in the way that the demons are describing you. And they'll whisper, who do you think you are? You know what you've done. Do you think you deserve to be forgiven? Do you? Do you deserve to be forgiven? No. The, word, the key word was deserve in yourself. But it is true that in Christ, yes, you deserve. But what we deserve is purely from Christ's actions, not our own. And even this one, what if these Christians found out about who you really are? What if they discovered your past? And some of us are carrying that. See, Satan will accuse you. He'll destroy your peace. He'll disable you with shame. If you've ever lived with shame, shame will disable you. It'll hold you in depression. It'll it'll damage your service. It'll drive you back into disobedience because you've come to believe that's who you are. And that life is what you deserve. Some of us have been silenced by Satan's attacking ridicule. You're truly Christian, but you're immobilized by regret and 
you're lacking in joy. And when you're in that, that state, you don't serve, you don't invite, you certainly don't go to a mission field, do you? You don't tell anyone about your spiritual story because you're actually ashamed because you don't think your behavior measures up with your testimony. Because you're carrying this heavy awareness of unworthiness. And it will silence you. The truth is in yourself, you are unworthy. We all are. If our qualification for service is based on personal righteousness, but it isn't. It's based on the righteousness of Jesus by grace. Now, what does grace mean? Oh yeah, y'all are good. Unmerited favor, undeserved kindness. And it's God's reason for declaring you perfect. Look at 1 Corinthians. Christ made us right. Are you aware of that? Christ made you right with God. He made us pure and holy. And he freed us from sin. Is your guilt gone? Some of you may be carrying guilt today. And if so, the reason is not that you haven't been forgiven by God. It's that you haven't forgiven yourself. Justification also enables us to reject doubts. John 5. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God, who sent me, have eternal life. When do you get in her eternal life? When do you get it, Roland? When I Jesus. Yeah, you already have it? Before you go to heaven? You're already a spiritual being? He's right. He's right. You have eternal life. You're not the same. If someone said, I'm only human. Are you only human? No, you are not merely human. You are not only human. You are not weakly human. You're a supernatural being that possesses eternal life because the spirit is already within you and they will never be condemned for their sins. They've already passed from death into life. And yet some of us are incapacitated by our insecurity about our faith. And it's caused by self-doubt, by regret. We question how the sovereign God of the universe could really care about us. Satan's forces know your doubts. Doubts about yourself, your worth, your significance, your acceptability to God. They know all those things. And then they seek to amplify your uncertainties and intensify your fears. Satan, he, he can't reverse you being born again. So he just tries to keep you living in anxiety, lacking in confidence, which drains away conviction 
constantly worrying about whether God has accepted you, whether he loves you, whether he wants you. So you are insecure about your faith. But if you have trusted Christ, if you have been born again, then you have been adopted into God's family. You may think, I don't fit. Well, he chose you. He chose you. And you've already received eternal life. You'll never be condemned. Your sins have already been judged. Everyone, including the ones you've yet to commit. They've been punished completely, fully. Not symbolically, actually. Through Jesus' crucifixion. John 10. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. Do you believe that? All right, hold on to your chair because I've got one there. That means you can't snatch yourself away. I know people love to get all tied up about, I walked away, I walked away. No, if you've ever been born again, your sins have been forgiven. Now, would that mean you would never walk away? Maybe. But I'm just telling you propositionally, if you've been born again, you cannot take yourself from God's hands. Now, I'll tell you this, which may not be comforting to you, but uh, the sin unto death is God takes people out sometimes when they're living in a way that is damaging their testimony, is confusing other people. Sometimes I think God will take you out, but he takes you out of this life into heaven. But you become like that reference to the, the smoldering stick that's pulled from the fire. The one who arrives in heaven with smoke still smelling in his or her shrouds. God will remove us, but no one can take us away from him. No one. Sanctification is becoming more like Jesus. It's developing practical righteousness. And being born again frees us from enslavement to sin. So we can choose to live rightly. If we say that we can't control certain impulses, are we being honest? Are we? Ooh, boy, that's passive. Are we being honest? Everybody needs to say that. If I'm falling into sin, am I being honest? I'm not letting y'all go home till I get everybody to acknowledge. Are you being honest? See, you have to know this. Because if you see yourself as a victim, as weak, as susceptible to fall, guess what? You'll fall. Because you've already made an excuse for falling. But being born again frees you. The Holy Spirit empowers you. So you can cooperate with his transformation. You can't actually implement the fruit of the Spirit, but you can cooperate with the Spirit as the Spirit builds the fruit of the Spirit within you. And when we choose to live 
a Christ-like lifestyle, to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh, to not to reject Satan, to resist this world, we're actually strapping on the belt plate of righteousness. And sanctification enables us to resist Satan because first it reveals our faith. 1 John 3. And this is on page 995 if you want to turn there. We'll look at this one in the scripture. It's a little bit longer passage. Chapter 3, verse 7. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, when people behave righteously, it shows they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. See, a commitment to obey God is proof of our salvation. So we become resistant to Satan's attacks. Now, Satan works both directions. Satan wants to convince lost people that they're saved. And he wants to convince saved people, what? That they're lost. He works both directions. He can't cause you to lose your salvation, but he sure can disable you. So you make no difference in the kingdom. If anything, you discourage people toward faith, against faith. Because the devil wants Christians to live defeated lives so that we don't further God's kingdom, so that we are silenced, so that we don't spread good news. We sit in the corner in shame silently. And Satan wants unbelievers to not question where they are. He wants unbelievers to be certain they are saved if anybody's saved. They don't need to be forgiven. They're as good as anybody else because everybody sins. So Satan will work either end. And Satan encouraged those. And when I say Satan, I'm talking about uh, demons as well. Most of us, I don't think many of us have had a visit from the personal Satan. So when I use the name Satan or the devil, I'm actually talking about demonic forces. So Satan encourages those who are unconcerned with personal holiness, indifferent to living a God-pleasing life. And Satan encouraged them, they are just fine. You're just fine. And unfortunately, I think that's commonly found in our culture. It's salvation by declaration, not by regeneration. I'm saved because I say I'm saved with no other evidence. And so people will say they're Christian despite any lack of evidence that indicates that a spiritual change has occurred. Continue in that passage, 1 John 3, look at verse eight. But when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning but the son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. So hear me on this. A lack of concern about sin. Mine, yours. 
may indicate a lack of salvation, a lack of the Spirit. If you have no conviction about the wrong that you know you're doing, you're in a very dangerous place. Now this passage, this verse, doesn't say if you have any sin in your life, you aren't saved. That's not what it says. What does it say? Somebody tell me. If you keep on sinning, is it, a, is it a practice in your life? You know you're in disobedience, but you're just not concerned about it. It's a dangerous place. You see, it's our lives that reassure us of our salvation. It's doing what is right because of our love for God. I've, I've said this many times, but if you love someone, does it change your behavior? Does it? Some of y'all, some of your wives need to look at you hard. <laughs> if you claim, oh, I love you, and it doesn't alter my concern about you, my thoughtfulness about you, or any of those things, there's something drastically wrong. Because anytime you love someone, it changes you, you know? I was going to have a nice afternoon watching some football. <laughs> Leanne had already had me hanging up mirrors and all this stuff. So then we get a call, five-year-old call. Lily, I need my Halloween costume today because I have to wear it three times. So guess what? We spent the afternoon in the Halloween costume. Y'all know where it is, don't you? Just right around the corner. Carolina Fashions. Oh, we had a lovely time. <laughs> a five-year-old and a three-year-old in the Halloween costume. And Brooks couldn't make up his mind, so we bought two. <laughs> True it, I bought him a giraffe head. But when you, see, when you love somebody, I wanted to watch football, lay on the couch. Mm -mm. I don't know what was said over here, but it, I think it was a confession. But I, we spent, I don't know how long, two hours maybe, more than an hour anyway, in the costume store around the corner. It's a wonderful place. But when you, when you love somebody, it changes you. When you love your spouse, you're different. Do you agree with me? Are y'all tracking with me here? You're different. Their feelings matter to you. You know, you avoid some irritations. If you don't, you need to take a hard look at yourself. Because if we love God, it affects how we function, what we think, what we do. You cannot be saved without some evidence. And so people will ask, even recently I've had some folks ask, 
How do I know I'm saved? Which to me, that question arising may even be an indicator that the Spirit's provoking a little bit. Because I think people that are settled in their lostness don't ever ask that question. How do I know I'm saved? Now I could, I could you know, do the Roman road and quote a bunch of verses and all that. That's not really where, I'm, where I go usually. What I ask is, do you love God? Do you love his word? Do you love his people? I think those are better indicators. What about you? Because a lot of people can quote a verse and their lives are unchanged. But does your life show loving action? That's alteration. Because naturally we're self-centered. When we become other-centered, something's happened. And then if you say, well, yes, I love God. Yes, I love his word. Yes, I love his people. Then ask him to confirm that you belong to him. Ask him. Keep asking him till he answers you. So how do I get there? And you can take the book of John and just start reading. And as you read, just say, God, show, does this apply to me? Is this where I am? Ask some questions. Sanctification also enables us to resist temptation. Ephesians chapter 4. This is long, these are longer verses, 944. Chapter 4, verse 21. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. That word's actually experiencing the truth, not just cognitive information. This is experiential awareness. Then throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. That's your flesh, old sinful nature, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Do you remember when you started thinking differently? You remember when you fled where you were and you find joy in being close to God, being led by His Spirit? Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So we do practice holy living in reliance on the Spirit of God. Now the devil tempts us to disobey God. But when the devil whispers to you and it sounds like, come on, don't you want to have fun? Don't you want to be free from God? Don't you want to do what you want? That's never from God when you hear, why don't you just do what you want? But the Satan invites you to that because he wants to damage our faith. He wants to weaken our convictions. He wants to destroy our influence. 
And then what he'll do is, see, it's a trap. It's a trick. He entices you, and then he slanders you with what you've done. I think there's a lot of that going on in the political world right now, actually. People are seduced and trapped and bought off and all kinds of things are offered, but it isn't to make those people enjoy their lives more. It's to enslave them. Satan always wants to enslave us. And so recognizing Satan's motivations, and when we recognize, then we can reject his seductive offers. But you have, to, you have to be on your toes. You have to be aware. When Satan offers you something that you know is wrong, he only means to damage you, to destroy you, to, to injure you personally, to, to um, demolition your family and your marriage. He's the author of destruction. He's not offering you pleasures to enrich your life. He's offering Satan sin to enslave you, then to exploit you, then to slander you. Is he really that cruel? Do y'all believe he's really that cruel? The devil wants to discredit God by enticing you into disobeying God. And then he can say, he doesn't care that much about you. She's not really concerned with what you want. And Revelation tells us those conversations are happening. Remember that Jesus sacrificed his life so we could be free from the control of sin. Are you able to refuse Satan's temptations? Knowing He desires your destruction. Now, there's some practical steps that you may need to take. If you know that what's pulling you down is in the form of people, in the internet, in chasing money, and whatever, you may need to make some changes. You may need to cut some people out of your life. You may need to pull the plug on the internet. You may need to cut off some of those streaming channels. You, may need, you need to do something wherever you know. And the Spirit will tell you. Say, Spirit, where am I susceptible? And you might need to eliminate some things to cooperate with the Spirit. Look at this verse. This is our memory verse for today. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. That's how you strap on the breastplate of righteousness and you'll be able to resist Satan. Care counselors will be here at the front. They'll also be in the care connection room. If you want to talk to someone, it may be you're saying, I don't know if I have a relationship with Christ, then begin a relationship with someone that'll talk with you and pray with you. They'll also anoint with oil for healing. Baptisms today at 630 in the amphitheater, I invite you to come. 
Now let me pray and then we'll stack our chairs and you can go. Father, I pray that you would make us aware when Satan creeps up trying to seduce us and trying to devour us. Lord, may we strap on the breastplate of righteousness. May we know that we are justified by you so that we're not constantly struggling with guilt, shame. But Lord, may we also strive by your spirit to live in a sanctified way so that we display holiness, which enables us to deflect the lure of Satan. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Coming up next week, we'll continue the series, Spiritual Warfare. To prepare, read Isaiah chapter 52, verses 7 through 10, and 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. You can watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or even search through the message archives. Visit brookwoodchurch.org slash media or download the Brookwood Church app. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Spiritual Warfare series. Thanks for listening and have a great week.